This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Row Studios in the crap part of downtown Los Angeles, Rog, oh. and from the crap part of Soho, it's the Men in Blazers podcast. Oh, Davo, you're in La La Land. Well, sort of. When I think La La Land, I yeah. think Hollywood. I think the Hollywood sign. I, I, I think I Beverly think, Hills. I think of people just abandoning their automobiles on the freeway, dancing on their car roofs to celebrate the arrival of the Chargers. Is that what they're doing, David? Well, we are in Singing. downtown Los Angeles. I am surrounded by freeways. <sighs> there seems to be a riot going on downstairs, if you can hear that in the background. It must be LAFC fans just yeah. going for it. Come on, Galaxy, we'll have you. Yeah, absolutely. Are you, it could well be. Are you a different you? When you're in LA, David, different world outlook, different being, different, different way of living, seeing the well, world. I, well, I've just got back from four days in Vegas, so that was a very different day, though. But no, I don't really think so. I've spent a lot of time here over the years, Rog. Part of Devo is made in LA. I lived here for eight years in the 1990s. You know, I travel here again and again and again and again, more frequently at some times than others. So LA is part what of me. What part Rog. of you, David? The the, the, the plastic the, part. The bit yes, of the work the, that you've had the, done. The even shallower bits. <laughs> I, I, I don't fully understand. I've got to say, the ways and codes of the city. I can never quite shake the feeling when I'm in LA, which I enjoy being in. But like when I drive in on the way from the airport, I can never quite shake the belief that there were Silence of the Lamb sex dungeons built under every store and every strip mall I kind of zoom past. Well, I mean, that's... that's uh... Undeniably true, Rog. LA is odd. 17 suburbs in search of a city. You're never really in the center. The one thing I can tell you is that downtown Los Angeles yeah. is always the furthest point from wherever you are anywhere in LA. Even when you're in downtown Los Angeles? Even when you're in downtown Los Angeles, you seem to have to leave downtown Los Angeles to get back <laughs> to the part of downtown Los Angeles that you have to be in. This might have been a mistake for us to put the embassy row offices in LA actually in LA. Oh, they but, really needed to be somewhere else. By the way, Nate Silver, I know you're listening to this podcast, Nate. Yeah. Hi, Nate. You need to write about, for 838, statistically, whether there are more Silence of the Lambs-style sex dungeons built under <laughs> properties in Los Angeles than there are in New York City. It could be that there are more in New York City. I'm just naively oblivious to it all, David. Yeah. Get on it, Nate. You can save 838 with that kind of lateral thinking. <laughs> but anyway, it's such a funny week. It's the week I hate most in the year, David, this week. Yeah, because why? Davos is in full swing. Oh, yeah. And whenever I see a newspaper report about Davos... You think it's about me? Yeah, and my heart skips a little beat. I'm excited <laughs> you're on the front page. Davos? Davos what? <laughs> and I realise it's just a bunch of rich Davos old in dudes. full swing. Yeah. Davos in full swing. <laughs> How's that news? <laughs> How's that news? That's 365. Oh, yeah. oh Davo's in Vegas again. Oh, we've got oh. to go for it because I put my back out this morning doing extraordinary yeah, how, feats how, of strength. And I'm, sorry. In, I'm in agony, absolute agony. I'm, okay, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, lumber, I'm lumbering Time around out. like um, I've got Yaya Toure mobility right now. What exercise were you doing that threw your back out? What was the specific exercise? I was lifting an extraordinary, like a 100 kilogram weight. No, you weren't. I was. I do it. I have a weight belt. I put it on and I just like lift it up and I roll really low. You were lifting a 220 pound weight. Yeah. 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 Okay. It's Tuesday. It's my 220, what? it's 220 day. 
I was preparing for this podcast to be candid. I was yeah. just going through my stats that I pulled at the weekend and I just tweaked something. I'm absolutely <laughs> in incredible agony. And just talking to you, mate, just talking to you for the next hour is just the only thing that is giving me meaning in life and total joy. Oh, you and Diego Costa. Oh. Except he probably was living a t- lifting a 220-pound weight. Me, 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 that, pi- was the, me, that was the suitcase of cash from China. Me, Payet, and Costa were all in agony. I promise you, yeah. it's real. Talking about back. Yeah. We are back. Yeah. On television. They're letting us back on, Davo. No. February 1st. Oh, I better put that in my schedule. Oh, right after Hull City beat up on Manchester United. <laughs> okay. Oh, I will say... We were not on television this week, but we did pop out a short digital hit of which I am incredibly proud, looking at the work of a remarkable woman, a remarkable team, the American coach Haley Carter and her Afghanistan women's national team. Oh, what a story. Team who call football a, quote, little speck of optimism in a really, really chaotic world, which is actually, you could describe MLS as that right now. Their film was truly humbling. And if you've not seen it, it's all over our social media. And there's a lot more about it in our newsletter the Raven, which you should uh, sign up for. But huge, huge thanks to producer JW, who made it all so piercingly, poetically real. It's incredibly humbling to be uh, to be connected to such a uh, to such a piece of culture. It's also incredibly humbling, David, to be connected to an incredible accolade this morning, David. Yeah, what I'm talking about, and the world is a buzz about this. Uh-huh. So, um, I mean, I don't really need to brief you on this because you probably woke up and were just gobsmacked. This is better than an Emmy. This is better than the Golden Globe. I'm talking about the accolade we received from Steve Dickerson. Yeah, the Steve Dickerson, Tennessee State Senator for District 20. Don't pretend you don't know who he is, David. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to recall him. The Steve Dickerson who on his Twitter says he's limited government, individual liberty, stewardship and free enterprise at the state capitol. Nashville. I thought it was a spoof when I got it because his, uh, his Twitter icon is like an advertisement of a man who looks incredibly like me, but 20 years younger. And it just says, I'm voting for Steve. He's a very handsome man. He's just tweeted out on his official state senator Twitter account, Steve Dickerson. I find men in blazers quite funny, even if I only understand a small number of the references. Good news, Rog. Yeah. I'm searching him right now on Google. Yeah. Steve is a, a fellow bald. Yeah. That's probably why he's into us. It's nothing to do with football. Yeah. Uh, fantastic man. He is. He's a looking man. He's a doctor. His tweet below us is flying car prototype ready by end of year. Yeah. <laughs> I love this man. I'm going to start a super pack. Steve Dickerson, GFOP, State yeah. Senator, District 20. Welcome, friend. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Fantastic stuff. Okay, Rog, we have a pack show. We're going to break down Man United's 1-1 draw with Liverpool <sighs> and relive... <laughs> Oh, that was so wonderful. The touchline dust-up between Jose Mourinho and Jurgen Klopp. It never really got going. We recap Chelsea's Diego Costa-Lesse 3-0 dispatching of defending champs Leicester City. And we relive a trinity of 4-0 thumpings <sighs> involving the top four. One of which made a certain host of this podcast very happy, oh, Rog. Well my, done. My pants are still crusty, David. <laughs> <laughs> I'm no longer your favourite Davies. That's the only <laughs> thing that bothers me. Okay, Rog, to the football. Oh, a weekend of players who weren't there, either because of the Africa Cup of Nations or because of their own volition. I mean you, Diego and Dimitri. Or, <laughs> or because they were wearing Sunderland jerseys. Yeah, oh. no, terrible back pain Diego's got. Oh, I'm raising my Guinness at you, Dave, out across yeah. the, this coast of this great nation. And I say to you, oh, courage.
<laughs> Thank you, Rog. You're going to need okay. it by the sound of it. It sounds like a mob is currently attacking your building. Do you know what? I just stood up and looked out the window. Yep. They are shooting. Oh, so LA. They're shooting a mob scene of some kind. They're all standing around the entrances of the building. There's a limo pulling up. Los Angeles social protest in action. They arrive in limos and then they get really angry in the street. Are you sure it's a film or could it be social protest? Because if it's a latter, Davo, and they break through your defences, I mean, I'll join everyone listening to the pod. I wish you a speedy death. Okay, Rog, Man United won, Liverpool won a massive rivalry match with very real title implications that proved high on entertainment, but run of the very nice on quality. (laughs) The visitors drew first blood in the 27th minute when James Milner converted a penalty kick after a hashtag Pogba handball. Liverpool maintained that lead until the 84th minute when the only conqueror of England without a tapestry to tell his story yet, Zlatan, headed past Simon Mignolet to earn a point for the home side. Liverpool slipped to third, seven points behind Chelsea. United Mm. stay sixth, 12 points behind the league leaders and four outside the top four. You think United-Liverpool, you think seething rivalry, you think peak performance, you think apex spectacle. This draw, anything but... Perhaps the fact that the drama and narrative outstripped the quality of the football, it shouldn't be much of a surprise, Dave. United yet, on one hand, they've not lost the Premier League game since October 23rd. But the only true peer they've met in that time was Tottenham Hotspur, and it wasn't the Tottenham Hotspur of ripple muscle today. Liverpool, though, arrived in a trough of form, shorn of Sadio Mane on Africa Cup of Nations duty. So Jurgen Klopp, fascinating article today. One of his assistants announced that he focuses 30% on tactics, 70% on just great vibe. His 30% on tactics was fascinating. Diamond midfield, built to smother and defray Michael Carrick's influence on the game. Carrick, the man who kind of sets the tempo for that United team, a bit like Questlove at the Golden Globes. The result, two teams just nullifying each other frantically in the early exchanges. Yeah, I thought Liverpool had the best of it, though, pretty clearly. They may have done, but the deadlock was broken out of nowhere, David, from the off. I mean, Paul Pogba, we should say, huge amount of pressure. He was the storyline going in. He had his hashtag. He had his emoji. He had his kind of Duracell battery haircut. But he was playing on the field like a malfunctioning Westworld host, just snatching at shots, conceding the ball sloppy style, and then off a corner, David. I don't know what he was doing. I mean, can you explain what he was doing? I mean, it was like watching Antonio Brown leaping up intentionally to catch the ball. Yeah. And he lost his man, panicked, chaos ensued. And you've got to say, when you become the first Premier League player to have your own social media emoji, you place so much pressure unnecessarily on your shoulders. I mean, yeah. that, that dodgy haircut, that hashtag Pogba, that needless penalty conceded, 27 minutes to the game. John Terry, hat-trick for Paul Pogba. Yeah, amazing, amazing, Rog. Pretty much a perfect, perfect start. James Milner. The the vanilla goal machine. Oh, my word. Yet another penalty. And we always say you can tell a huge amount about the quality of a team by what they do when they go a goal down. But when they had their chances, the big names in this game, most notably Mkhitaryan, didn't take advantage of them. It should be said, Simon Mignolet in the Liverpool goal lights out like a Belgian Bradley Guzan. I mean, the football just became cagey. Neither side kind of had the ability to find that final ball. Were you shocked at halftime that Mourinho sent on Wayne Rooney for Carrick? Yes, I was. I don't really know how to process how Mourinho is seeing Wayne Rooney at this point. You know, you think that it might be the commercial department forcing them to play him. Uh, I still think he's capable of doing something, but it's unsure of where he sort of fits in uh, on his team. But maybe that was a tactical 
adjustment. Maybe it was Wayne Rooney threatening uh, Mourinho in the changing room and making put him on. Who knows? And what it allowed United to do is to begin to probe the weak spot of that diamond. The space it seeds down the flanks and Jordan Henderson, God, over and over again, the subtle saviour for Liverpool, shuttling around maniacally to suppress the space. And the game became a bit numbing, a bit toothless up top. There was just a complete lack of poise and quality in that final third. Wayne Rooney wombling around like Mickey Rourke in full late in the movie wrestler mode. And then in the 76th minute, to great groans around Old Trafford, on came Fellaini, the most unloved, angry dandelion in world football. I mean, Mourinho had said after the game he wanted to change the direct play. And Fellaini, maligned misunderstood like a footballing phantom of the opera. He did what it said on the box, David. The long balls uh, started coming. They started hitting the very, very large coiffure of Marouane Fellaini and the balls were knocking it down all around the area and Man United were picking them up. But it seemed to give them more energy, Rog. They enjoyed this kind of football. They did and he got his big Belgian bonts on that ball to create chaos and who was there to get his head on the slops? Zlatan. I've got to say, a neck snap dispatching the ball to where it simply couldn't be stopped on a packed goal line. It was a phenomenal finish. I've watched it over and over again this weekend. Ten goals in ten games. This dare to Zlatan self-mythologising crap, Davo. It's actually truth. Yeah, it does. I mean, the whole goal, actually, if you watch it again, was incredible, notwithstanding the you know, the questionable uh, non-offsides call on Tony V. Uh, but Tony V's ball, Wayne Rudy brought that ball down. Fantastic cross. Uh, Fellaini puts it against <sighs> the post, creates the chaos. Tony V, Zlatan is saying, put it here, put it here. Tony V actually puts the ball about six yards away from only six yards from where Zlatan <laughs> wanted the ball. But Zlatan is still able to snap his head back and just nonce it into the area, to the, into, the, uh, into the goal mouth, to the only place where neither defender nor goalkeeper could get it. What a finish. Quality nonsense. Quality, yeah. quality nonsense. I had Austin Brown and Parquet Courts in on Friday, and he just loves United. Fellaini, told me, was his favourite player because he just loves when he's in a bar in Brooklyn to just scream whenever Fellaini comes on the field. He loves to scream, Goat! Fellaini! Goat! And then I just thought about him when Fellaini wumbled on and dared to Fellaini. It was a phenomenal moment for him. A real moment of vindication for Fellaini. Um, and then late on, Ander Herrera. God, what a moment, Dave. A moment for those who watch football for drama. Pulling back Firmino, yanking his jersey, then holding onto his face when he was pushed in the chest like some devious Spanish Grayson Allen. Caused... Yeah. The moment we'd all been waiting for, because to be honest, the match director kind of held off the Mourinho cam, kind of held off the Klopp cam, very light on both for much of the game. But Mourinho went head to head with a simply incandescent Klopp on the sideline. You know, it was one of those rare matches where both teams are unbelievably frustrated, both of them. You know, Mourinho, even at the point that they equalised, still seemed kind of angry at his team. Uh, Klopp, I think, was very frustrated that his team were unable to build on their... Uh, on their 1-0 lead. And they were both in just a vicious bad mood by the end of it. I'm not sure that what Klopp was upset about was actually Mourinho calling for uh, a yellow card for Firmino. That would be you know, pretty low-level Mourinho-like rubbish, frankly. And it's not like Klopp hasn't done the same thing. I think they're just two guys who are very competitive, didn't like the way the match had turned out, and just got on each other's tits, frankly. Oh, but you compare Mourinho in this chin-to-chin to to the Jose that faced up to Wenger. 
I mean, number one, Klopp, no tie to flip. Yeah. Jose. But yeah, you've fight. taken away Jose's best yeah, move. He's got no plan B in a fist fight. But I've yeah. got to say, when you watch this, Jose looked like a little man who knew he'd con- get completely squashed if it came to it by the giant Teutonic Care Bear. Very, he'd just get hugged. He'd get hugged to death. Very difficult physical manifestation. Very different tete-a-tete than we're used to in the old Mourinho Book of Hong Kong Fui, Book of Kung Fu, Dave. Very, very different physical matchup indeed. 1-1 at the final whistle. Deflated crap fair. Really, a needless penalty given and an offside equaliser pretty well says it all. But better point for which team? And you can't say Arsenal, Spurs and Chelsea. <laughs> London. Yeah, London's title to lose, Rog. I think ultimately it was a better point for Man United because I think this would have been all the momentum that they'd been gaining over the holiday period. I think a home loss against Liverpool, those, their hated rivals, I think would have just sucked the momentum out of their season. Oh, you know, to me, United in sixth place, desperate to play catch-up, this point should have felt like a loss. I mean, avoiding defeat against Liverpool when you goal this Champions League football, that should not be treated as anything to celebrate, unless you have yeah. recalibrated your ambitions and they've just dropped. I mean, they remain unbeaten in 16. But when you look, they've just taken just six points from six games against the top six, the big, big games, which really Mourinho has brought in to win. It's a more accurate reality check of their progress this season than anything. If you think Liverpool, I, I like that point, David. They were a weakened side on the road. They ground out a point with a kind of robust play they didn't have in their locker in the days of free-scoring, buccaneering football a month ago. Yep. Slight dip of form they're on right now. But to get big points like this when you are in a dip of form, to me, that's admirable. And Klopp's team unbeaten against the top six this season, that record, real stark contrast to Joe Says at United. No, very true. Look, in the top six table, Liverpool are on top right now, Rog. The problem is they lost to Bournemouth. They lost to Burnley. They had that draw over the holiday period to Sunderland. You know, their problems aren't against the top six. They are a fantastic, fantastic football team, Rog. I think you're right. They had some injuries. They're going through a little bit of a wobble right now, but still eking out results. Talking about fantastic football teams. Yeah, Everton, Rog. Oh, you're <sighs> Everton. Why can't they play like this every week, Rog? Everton They four, do in my dreams. Man City nil. Goals from Romelu Lukaku, hey, Kevin Morales, hey, Tom Davies, hey. Tom Davis, as he's called over there, and Adamola Lukman Ooh. put exclamation point after exclamation point on an incisive Everton performance, Rog. Four goals from four shots on goal. At what point did you emerge from behind the couch, Roger? Oh, it's a very interesting question, David. Really interesting question. We'll go through a goal-by-goal um, blow by blow state of my uh, my mental inners. But I'll just say yeah. about City, what a difference between City today and City back in October when Everton first met Pep. The biggest difference from the off. Opponents just do not fear this Manchester City team. They do Oh, I'm so glad you said that. They remind me of Chelsea last season. Go on. Exactly. They're, I mean, look, of course, Man City have about 70,000 times more points. But they have this thing where when they suddenly realise they're not dominating, they completely and utterly fall apart because teams don't fear them. However well they play, however good their individual players are, no one fears this team. Pep must be going out of his mind. Well, we'll chat about Pep. God love him. If ever a man needed the cuddle. But his team, they don't do clean sheets. And in the games they've lost this season to Spurs, Chelsea, Leicester and Liverpool before kickoff, they've just fallen apart against Harriers, Pressers, 
Irregular partisans who just love to blow up fuel depots behind enemy lines. And so it was in this game, in the face of just a, oh, I love this, I love this, David. A suddenly, out of nowhere, hard-working, scrappy-do-ish, youth-rejuvenated Everton Football Club. Absolutely an exquisite afternoon. The It was like my dreams made real. I mean, if you've watched City all season, like producer JW professes to do, it was just an incredible repeat pattern to this game. City trying to build the ball diligently out of the back, coughing it up cheaply. And so it came to pass in the 34th minute when just scrappy socks down, golden vision that is Tom Davis. Tom Davo. Set up Morales, who for once thought about other people. It must have been a mistake. And he passed and just set up, oh, gorgeous, gorgeous Romelu to slot home. City conceding with the first attempt on goal for, I love this statistic, seventh time this season. A goal which, to be honest, it made me momentarily happy. And then I just became overwrought by fear, a darkness. 1-0 up. We had a lead. We had something suddenly to lose, something beautiful that could be taken away from us at any moment. Mm. So the second, Dave, 62 seconds. That's the attitude. (laughs) (laughs) You can't relate to that at all, I can't relate to that at all. Go ahead. You go 1-0 up, you are just imperious domination will ensue. Yeah, no, when somebody scores against us when we're 1-0 up, I'm like, who saw that coming? How could that possibly have happened? I never never fear it. I feel like a peasant villager in a very small rural community who's just found a ring while out rummaging for raisins and sustenance to eat. And I bring it back to the village (laughs) and I show it to the elders and I say, what is this golden ring? And they look at me and they say, you have brought darkness upon our village. Darkness will certainly <laughs> ensue. So that second goal, David, when it came, 62 seconds yep. into the second half, Barkley dishing, Morales rifling home smartly while surrounded by hapless City defenders. I just hugged myself and kind of rocked quietly on my couch, trying to suppress tears of wonder. It was all, oh, is this the real life? And at the same time, is you're thinking, oh, fantasy? now we've gone and done it. <laughs> Now we've got to done it. <laughs> and then now th- we're in trouble. Oh, yeah. two nil leads. Nah, oh, nothing more nah, dangerous than a two nil lead. I had to go and change my pants quickly. <laughs> and then I was back in front of my television for the moment, that throbbing moment of just nipple tingling football. Tom Davis, TD, touchdown Davis, picking the ball up deep in his own Game half. Ball. Charging forward, full length of the field, checking back inside, throwing off a lackadaisical Torre and Clichy, both thrown off the scent, exchanging passes with Barkley, getting knocked over by turncoat John Stones, but then just leaping up, reattaching himself to the ball in the box and calmly chipping home to run towards just the adoring Goodison Park faithful. In that moment, Davo, I just adored Tom Davis. He's like Tom Hiddleston, but better looking. He's Everton's best Tommy since Graveson. Oh, watching that ball just dinked over Claudio Bravo. He's 18. He's 18. He's playing world-class midfielders or reputedly world-class midfielders. KDB, Yaya. He has no fear the whole game. And he's just charged towards the fans, many of whom have been cheering him since he first walked into Everton's academy as a local lad, 10 years of age. And I just thought, I said to my wife, if I had hair, I'd grow it out right now and dye it bright, bright, pissy yellow, Theon Greyjoy style. I love Tom Davis. He's my second favourite Davis. No, I was thinking... After your dad. In your favourite... <laughs> After Trev. Yeah. I was thinking that Ray Davis and Dickie Davis, the legendary British sportscaster, they must come above Davo. Yeah, I mean, your dad is number one. Tom Davis <laughs> is number two. 
Tom Davis is number three. Ray Davis, number four. Then Tom Davis in at five. And Dave out. I think you, you, you do. You round off the top six. <laughs> Absolutely. God, another great young England player, Rog. Uh, very excited. We've got to snap him up before he decides, uh, finds his ancestors and goes and plays for Wales, Rog. I've, I've got to say, we've got to talk about Romelu Lukaku trying to harsh my mellow by tapping the ball over the line. What is your position on this action? Can we have a ruling? Well, I thought... Tom Davis, after the game, said he, uh, he's, he's, he's not taking that goal away from me. I think it depends whether or not he actually tried to claim the goal after the game. He kind, um, of, did, kind of did reel away as he if he'd did. done the hard work. <laughs> you know, Tom Davis run, I would say, four-fifths of the length of the field, been body-slammed by turncoat John Stones, done the incredible feat of making Ross Barkley look good by reattaching himself to that return ball and then dinked it which is not that hard to be honest dinking it over Claudio Bravo but oh. I mean that is the work and then Romelu on the line from Breck Shea range just prodding it home and reeling away can you can, can I get a ruling on this because I do okay, have thought let's say in Romelu's favour yeah you do want to make sure the ball goes in you do yeah although you also have to worry that you might be offside when you do that, and then you uh, and then the goal is is nullified. But yeah, it's it's a little dodgy. It's a little dodgy. You know, to me, here's how I rationalise it because it was a moment when I was like Romelu, team, individual. But then you think Romelu, it's what strikers do. It's absolutely what strikers are trained to do. It's exactly what they are meant to do, which is pad your stats with a tap-in to it uh, yeah. when, the, when the ball is going in anyway. They don't like poetry strikers. They don't like sharing. They like scoring. And to them, 45-yard thunderbolts or one-yard tap-ins, they're all the same. It doesn't matter. Because in Romelu's yeah. mind, every goal counts toward whatever contractual incentive Lukaku's <laughs> agent has negotiate and also yeah. add millions to his eventual inevitable transfer fee. So I kind of rationalise it, even though... It was a deeply destructive moment in the Everton team DNA. Anyway, at Everyday Dude, the great at Everyday Dude, chimed in at that moment. Another day, another John Stones loss at Goodison. Yes, and John Stones' finest moment was still to come because Everton brought on a baby, a baby, 19-year-old Adamola Luttman. I think of you when I saw Adamola, Dave. His name must be some kind of contraction of Adam Carolla. His dad must be a big fan. Yeah, almost certainly. Adam Carolla... Uh and friends, Build Stuff Live, coming to Spike Television uh, late February. That was a product placement triggered by the name Adamola. <laughs> uh, um, and the debutant just strolled on and scored within four minutes, Davo. But even better yeah. than the goal was the fact that it was offered John Stone's turnover to boot. Yeah, and, amazing. And, and old Adamola, the baby, clipped the ball through Claudio Bravo's legs. It was like watching mm. Emmanuel Lewis go five-hole on Brad Garrett. Claudio Bravo, by the way, in the Premier League, shots faced, 22 Goals conceded, 14. He just doesn't do saves, David. Let's just be honest. He just he plays with his feet. Ian Dark, he Darkie, do actually goals. tweeted he this he out. Do he tweeted out. Can you remember a, like, a significant Claudio Bravo save? I mean, his saves highlight reel of the 2016-17 season is probably like 15 seconds long at this point. He just doesn't save. Yeah. He's not there for the saving, David. He's not there for the saving. That's to misunderstand. But, oh, that moment again. Baby face sliding towards the fans on his knees in giddy delight. Adamola, three years ago, playing rec league football on a Sunday. Now he just strolled into the Premier League, scored on his debut. Just a beautiful moment in a young man's life. 
shared live by millions. It was like a bar mitzvah at the Mola, but there were just millions of people watching on live TV. It's what sport is all about. And this is what sport's all about, Dave. Everton, 29% possession. As you said, four <laughs> shots, four goals. Cameras cut throughout the game, to be candid. Cameras just cut to a absolutely shell shot Pep Guardiola. His body language communicating, well, to me, that he wanted to be anywhere but here. What, what did you see when you looked at just a man wrapped by paint? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pain we've seen. It's the pain that Mourinho felt last season at Chelsea. It's a man confused by everything that's going on. It's a man who does not understand how his superior players, his superior team are getting taken apart by an inferior team, as you said, of babies. By the way, I'm very high on the Everton babies, much higher on the Everton babies than I am on Everton, Rog. I love that. <laughs> um, but he, he just seems confounded and confused, and it opposes his worldview. He can't change his worldview. His worldview, he's gone out there and said, this is my worldview. This is the way I'm going to play football. England is no harder than any other place I've ever played. It, he can't change his worldview, and so he's just having to deal with these realities, and it's just hitting him in the kidneys again and again and again and again. Oh, it was meat careless football in that second half for Manchester City. Most tellingly, and we said this about Chelsea last season, you're absolutely right. No leaders stepping up to take charge when the ship was listing. The, the whole team just preferred to play out the game as anonymously and heads down as possible, knowing that Pep, not they, are going to take all the blame when the ship goes down. And this Absolutely. was Guardiola's heaviest defeat in 275 league games as manager. He's got to somehow muster some spirit and the idea of tactical cohesion again before the visit of Spurs upcoming this game. Thank you, Premier League writers. Thank you. Reality with the City team, Davo. They can yep. summon the tenacity to come from behind to beat Arsenal and they can be thumped by Everton. We simply have no idea what kind of performance they're going to unfurl next weekend. But yep. 17 games remain for City this season. They can still land that top four place they require at a minimum. And then he can clear out the forest of Deadwood on that squad. But by God, if they lose against Spurs this upcoming weekend, cue talk of super crisis in a way we have not seen really since LVG uh, was beaten down and on, on his last legs. But I've got to ask you, Oh, it's going to be a tough matchup for them also, Rog, because it's clear that they don't like playing teams with babies. Tottenham is a team full of babies. Oh, how has Conte had an instant impact on Chelsea Football Club? Whereas, to a lesser degree, Mourinho right now, but, I mean, Pep, big time, have just struggled. Well, I think that Conte, just look at the way his team played at the Euros, look at the way his teams have played in the past... Conte, his playing style, his leadership style immediately adapts to English football and to the Premier League. It's just perfect. And that's not I'm not talking about the, you know, three at the back. I'm talking about just the mentality yeah. uh, and the defensive mentality. It's just it's perfect for the Premier League combined with that attitude. I think he also came into and I think he said this when he got the job to to manage in the Premier League was a dream of his for his entire life. He always wanted to go and be there and he just loves it. You know, it and he just seems right at home. Pep feels like a foreign manager still. He just seems like a foreign manager, a manager built to coach in the Bundesliga, in uh, in La Liga, maybe in Serie A. He just doesn't seem at all comfortable in his surroundings at this point. I mean, you look at Conte's system, it is 
compared to Pep's relatively simple, you've got three at a back, lung-busting flank play, Azard and Costa just lethal up top, and then collective willpower all over the field. Pep's much more intricate, much more complex, much more fragile, his philosophy. I mean, the, frankly, the likes of which we've never seen in the Premier League, which means we don't actually know if his ideas work in the hurly-burly world of the Premier League. And just as challengingly, He's got none of his players brought in to help evangelise on the field. I mean, when he moved to Bayern, he had a winning squad. He brought in Thiago Silva from Barcelona. He had tactically nimble players, Philip Lahm, Javi Martinez, David Alaba. Flexible, intelligent, just Swiss army knife players who could do anything, anywhere. This city right now, it is yayayayayang, Aguero Aguero-ing. David Silva flickering. KDB seems lost this second quarter of the season. Raz straining. Gundogan injured, Nalite and Leroy Sané not even making the team. And that back five, self-sabotaging, just self-inflictive wound givers. I watched this weekend, I thought, we may be watching a footballing donor organ be rejected by the host body, David. I'm starting to wonder whether he is going to make it to the end of the season. And the problem with Claudio Bravo is it's not like he can just say, oh, he's out of form, I'm going to replace him with Willy Cahill. With who? Willy Cahill. He... (laughs) Claudio Bravo isn't his goalkeeper. He is a human representation of Pep Guardiola's worldview on football, which not only he has stated to the press, to the fans, to everyone in football, it's also the worldview that has got him to where he is. He can't just adjust. He can't just change things right now to adapt to the situation in English football, which is exactly what Conte did after the losses to Liverpool and Arsenal earlier in the season. He has a worldview that he's got to stick to, and he is boxed in by that, Rog, at this point. Anyway, enough about City, Rog. Everton, those Everton babies. Oh, I love the Everton babies. I'm neutral on Everton. I'm, I'm all in on the Everton babies, Rog. At the third touch, said, how are you feeling, Roger Bennett? I imagine you must be so proud, like Jurgen Klinsmann, after his son abused Landon Donovan on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> I'll say, this was something I'm trying to avoid reading too much into because Everton are a inconsistent football club under Ronald Koeman. But this was Ronaldo's best day ever at the club. But just a reminder to me on a meta level how bonkers, how erratic, how amazing football can be. I mean, Everton's annual general meeting, I think it was like 10 days ago, the new owner, Farhad Mashiri, talked just elegantly, beautifully, poetically about his plan for the future, made everything feel absolutely golden and dream-filled. And then in true Everton fashion, we just went and got humiliated in the FA Cup against Leicester City. It's just a gutting, dark reality check. And then now this, just suddenly a flotilla of youngsters strengthening the team, ebullience, fearlessness, everything that we have dreamt about. And I just say, God, I just love Everton Football Club. It's games like this that just make the years of suffering, the years of anguish, the years of self-loathing, they just make it all feel effortless. Just a burden that I can carry with glee. Play the babies. That's what I say. Play the babies. We've got to make play the babies t-shirts, Rog. I love that. <laughs> okay, on to my squad, Rog. Chelsea 3, Leicester City 0. A battle between the last two champions that made Leicester look like Tony Basil to Chelsea's Rihanna. A Marcus Alonso brace. Yeah, everybody saw that coming. And a Pedro goal. See Antonio Conte's crew go seven points clear at the top. But after the match, all of the talk was about a man who wasn't in the Chelsea side. Oh, just when it looked like Chelsea were going to run the table, Green Bay Packers style. This, I mean, mm. Diego Costa 
and Antonio Conte suddenly, mysteriously, fallen out, Dave, over his fitness, his willingness to train, his interest in a move to China. China. It was funny when Oscar and Obi Mikel moved there, isn't it, Dave? Not so funny now. Yeah, well, I mean, this is the problem of mercenary footballers, Rog, and it's uh, one yeah. of the reasons why... That's redundant. They're the... just called footballers, mate. Oh, no, play the babies, Rog. You're not going to lose your local lads. Uh, I don't think Tom Davies is going to end up in China, although who knows, the Chinese might be coming in for a £120 million offer uh, before yeah, this pod just, even goes I'll out. I'll just say, it did not thrill me, by the way, that Adamola <laughs> told the press after this glorious moment, I mean, just a sincerely beautiful human moment, told the press, it's my dream to play in Barcelona or Real Madrid one day. <laughs> not, it's not what you say. You may feel it. <laughs> Not the time. <laughs> it might be the truth. There's, this is no time for the truth. But back to um, you, mercenary footballers. Yeah, look, I don't think this is sudden. You said it's a sudden erupting. I think there's been tension between Conte uh, and Costa. It's been pretty clear. We've seen the pictures of it, Rog, uh, since the beginning. He's not an easy man to manage. He's not an easy man to handle. You talked earlier about Romelu, the mentality of a striker. You know, my God, Diego Costa is is figure A in that textbook, the mentality of the striker. Um, and who knows what the truth of all of this is? Uh, my guess is it's gray, like most things. Some of it's to do with China. Some of it's to do with the way he trains. Some of it's to do with, you know, his back. Some of it's to do with, you know, the fact that he probably wants to go clubbing more often than Conte is going to allow him. It's just a lot of things. He's a difficult player. But actually, the fact that the squad in the middle of all of this rallied around and got a very, very impressive uh, 3-0 win uh, against Leicester, that's pretty impressive. On the lash with Diego. I mean, you talk about mercenary footballers. It is interesting. I think about this a lot. As fans, we just love to project our players adore the club in the same way as we do. But, and this is maybe a trade secret, as much as they love our club players, they like money even more. And you, <laughs> they love money. Yeah, I love even, money. Even the babies. I mean, even you, the babies love money. You look at Diego Costa, born in a small town on the east coast of Brazil. I, I imagine in the sports pages, which you probably read diligently, Chelsea Football Club were not featuring a huge amount uh, in those newspapers. His loyalty to Chelsea. I try and think about what that must be like in my own life. And I can only think he must feel about Chelsea as I do about my car insurance. If I can get a better deal, I'll just move on. I'll take that better deal. Yeah. Uh, And China is no less foreign to him than London. He's living in such a different world than he grew up in. In fact, China may be less foreign to him than London. Um, So, you know, who knows? I'll tell you you what's less foreign to him. $79 million transfer fee plus a salary of rumored 42 $0.5 $0.5 million a year net. I mean, wow. Those are, I mean, those are Bob Lee numbers, David. Yeah, and, and, and when you, when you think about it, I mean, God, I've got to say, if I have back pain, which I do, my back pain will be aggravated by that offer of $79 million. Does it make you angry when you think about the season? Does it make you worry? Did, did it, did, going into this game, we're going to talk about the game in a second, but going into it, did it, you make, did it make you feel... What emotion, Dave? Because I don't like to project because you and I have just a completely different palette of human emotion. Look, as you know, I'm, a, I'm an odd fellow and a lot of it may be denial, but I have, I, I have within me a need 
to always remain positive and move forward. It may be because I am prone to a level of darkness, the black dog, Rog, which I can't allow to come anywhere near. <laughs> so my, my first reaction is always to be overwhelmingly positive in every situation. And I guess the way I felt about it immediately was, you know what, this could hurt us for the rest of this season. But in the long term, it's not like Diego Costa is going to spend years at Chelsea. It's going to come to a horrible end at some point with this guy. And if the horrible end is, you know, 70 plus million uh, dollars and, you know, enough money. And once again, an amazing piece of business that allows us to go out and get another fantastic striker, you know, so be it. Yeah, I'm just enjoying I, watching Chelsea play football. I, love, I, I just always do admire... When my father always talks about how he looks forward, that's his motto in life. Look forward, Roger. And I know that they may call that that in England, but in America we call that incredible ability to repress the past. But the question I cannot shake is, why would he do it now and not wait till the summer? We do not have enough information to be able to answer it. But I, I did look back at Thierry Henry's interview um, with... Antonio Conte, which I think happened in October. It's worth looking at on the internet. There's a wonderful moment where Antonio Conte says to Thierry Henry, he says, if a player doesn't bring the right attitude, he would prefer to, quote, he says this in the interview, I will kill him. Or as he says it, kill him. Thierry Henry laughs when he says it, as if Conte's joking. But then just the Italian looks at Thierry Henry so sharply, you know that Antonio Conte absolutely means it. So there you've got Conte, You've got Costa, two incredibly stubborn men going head to head. This is a story which is not going to end quickly. Um, But in terms of your lack of repressive abilities, in terms of your looking forward, wow. I mean, the notion Chelsea would struggle without Diego Costa turned out to be fake news, at least for this weekend. And also, look, the, the fact is that Chelsea are top of the league, really, because they've only conceded 15 goals. You know, only Tottenham have conceded less. And that's really the, the the secret behind them. Yes, Costa has scored some really important goals. He's the leading goal scorer in the league, or at least tied up there as the leading goal scorer in the league. Um, but you know what? I, I feel like they've got a lot, Chelsea. Who knows what's going to happen for the end of the season, but it's not all about Diego Costa. Yes, Rog, 3-0. Goals from defenders. You know I love goals from defenders. Strafenders. Marcus Alonso, Strafenders. Uh, the first goal was better than the second. Uh, still a bit of a mess. Chelsea managing to score goals not too early, Rog. Early goals for Chelsea allow them to relax. It forces other teams to come onto them. And with three at the back um, and those two wingbacks, it's so hard for teams to commit forward against this team. They just can suck the pressure uh, up. And uh, Leicester never really got going without Mares, You know, Vardy a little under the weather, just tough for them. In truth, we've got no idea how Chelsea will deal without Diego Costa. I mean, Leicester City were that bad. Sean of Kante's security and intelligence, Mares away. But I mean, even if he was there, no 2016 Mares has been seen this season. In fact, everything that Sean last campaign, it just seems to be lesser, far lesser on that Leicester City squad. Morgan and Huth, centre-backs, cumbersome, Vardy, lightweight and predictable, drink water. Oh, well-intentioned, but so lacking. They're now, amazingly, just five points off the relegation zone at Wingap Stinson tweeted us and said, central part of Leicester's game plan appears to be just kick it directly to Cahill and see what happens. <laughs> we, will see, yeah. we will see, Dave, how Chelsea do without Costa or probably worse with a pissed off Costa playing for the rest of the season. They play Hull and then they have Liverpool 
and Arsenal are waiting in the wings. Yeah, those are the two big games coming, Rog. Uh, Tottenham, what a good football team. Oh. Tottenham 4, West Brom nil. A uh, brand new father, Harry Kane, puts three, Rog, past Tony Poulos' side. The hat-trick, combined with a Gareth McCauley own goal, moves Spurs to second in the table, ahead of Liverpool on goal difference. They're seven points behind Chelsea. Oh, what a swagger they have in their step, Tottenham. I mean, they play ripple, muscled, high-tempo passing, coupled with just a sweeping sense of movement against a team... West Brom, who they've struggled to be at White Hart Lane over the years. Every Tottenham player so intelligent on the ball. Even the mm, possibly injured for 10 weeks now, Vertonghen and Aldeveld, 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 Aldeveld. Oh, that bat line. That's one more Viveve. Even they charge forward, Dave, out just so confident in their ball play. Their opening 12-minute goal, no surprise. Uh, and they, it was hard to tell whether Spurs were phenomenal or if West Brom were playing badly, they were playing bog-standard, poolless, sit-deep football. But Spurs, so full of menace, intent, Rose Walker, just tie Rose on each flank. They had so many tools to hurt West Brom. Poolless, he may be the master of blockade and repel. Spurs just ghosted through the barricades as if they weren't there. Uh, they are on fire uh, right now, Rog, and uh, not playing Spursy-like football whatsoever. The atmosphere at White Hart Lane is absolutely phenomenal. I thought this was going to be a tough matchup for them. West Brom played them so well at home. I think that was a draw earlier in the season. Yeah. Uh, but Tottenham overpowering. Yeah, I mean, they're just dizzying. The cunning, the movement, the unselfishness to that forward play. 77% possession in the first half Spurs. And within 20 minutes, West Brom fans resigned to their fate, just settled into amusing themselves with their, we've got the ball, we've got the ball. And then... We've lost the ball. We've lost... Oh, it's such a great routine. I never tire of that beauty. I'd say two fantastic second-half finishes for a Harry Kane hat-trick. One, after that devious flick from Delhi, just a total Spurs-gasm. The kind of goal that makes you conjure images of phones all across China being slammed down with someone screaming, Get me Harry Kane! Six goals in his last four games, 13 on the season. Once Real Madrid's Harry Kane, now almost certainly China's Harry Kane. He had just become a dad, as you said, Davo. First time uh, last week, a daughter, Ivy Jane Kane. I like that. Yeah, I like it. People react to that moment very differently professionally, Davo, having their first kid. Some lose their edge in the workplace and just check out. Some just become incredibly focused and productive. To be an elite athlete, you actually have to be very focused to the point of selfishness, which is the opposite of the father role. What emotions did it summon for you professionally when you first had a next generation, David? Uh, it's tough to say. I would say that when JJ was born, Chelsea won the title. Now, that is just a purely a coincidence. I didn't have a lot to Chelsea winning the title, but I've always regarded her as particularly good luck. Oh, I'm trying to think back when I had a baby. The first one, Samson. I just had an incredible realisation, probably a Harry Kane-ish one, that it, for me it was going to be now or never, that it was either going to happen or it wasn't. And I just, I remember reacting to it that I just threw myself into my work with just complete abandon. And when I had the second, Bert, I just learned the most important lesson that probably I've ever learned professionally, that uh, I, I just came to value the time and the use of time so much more preciously having kids. And since then, I've really tried to make the most of every minute. Having kids can be amazing for you. Um, having kids has been unbelievable on this tiny, tiny control group watching Harry Kane. My favourite story of fatherhood conjured by Harry Kane's feet this week, Davo, 
comes from former Republic of Ireland striker Tony Cascarino, who wrote just an absolute gem in the Times. Yeah, when Harry Kane scored a hat-trick Saturday, he wrote, a few days after becoming a father, it reminded me of when my first wife, Sarah, was pregnant with our (laughs) child. Millwall had a game, and she told me to go and play. Before the match, I was in the car park and signing autographs. I played and found out after the match my son Michael had been born. I rushed to the hospital, but stopped on the way to buy a congratulations card. I gave it to her, and she threw it back at me from the hospital bed. I'd written, best wishes, Tony Cascarino. (laughs) I was on autopilot from signing autographs, and for some reason, I'd done the same for Sarah. I'll never live it down. Best wishes. That's like we were talking about the Christmas cards we used to get from friends at school. Like, happy birthday from Mullins. Yeah. Yeah. The key line line in that mini Tony Cascarino story is, my first wife, Sarah. (laughs) Yeah, clearly. Clearly. Back to Spurs. God love them. From men. Six consecutive Premier League game one, tying their previous best. More menacingly. Now nine points better off than they were this time last season. And in a more fiercely competitive league too, Davo. As we said earlier, Manchester City, this weekend, Premier League scriptwriters. Clap, clap, clap. Yeah, too much. I must say, my children have been the making of me as a man, Rog, whether it's professionally or not. Let me ask you a question. Harry Kane, how do you process him as a footballer? He's a footballer that I don't know... You and I talk about football all the time. But honestly, I have no idea how good I think Harry Kane is. Whether I think he's... I mean, I just don't know what kind of a footballer is. And I don't know really how you feel about Harry Kane either. I adore him, Dave. I mean, I think he's a phenomenal footballer. I think he's an incredibly instinctual footballer. Watching him uh, over the past 60 months, it's rare to see a striker with such a natural sense of space and a natural ability to put himself in the right place at the right time. And I had the chance to talk to him last month about it and uh, for a film that I think is going to air February 5th about Spurs and how they do what they do. And I talked to him about his ability to be right place, right time. And, and he says he really honestly tries not to think about it. It's something that just inherently uh, kind of natural to him. And the less he thinks about it, the better. But I admire him. Um, I revere him. It would have been very easy being English, especially in this Premier League, to have one season scoring a lot of goals and then to get emojis uh, written in your name to get huge, huge uh, kind of sponsorship opportunities and to lose your focus about what's important, which is on the football field. And he's done completely the opposite. He's kept producing, uh, he's kept returning. And it's really, from a human perspective, a joy to see. Yeah, absolutely. And doesn't have the greatest physical talents as a footballer, we should say. He's not doing it on purely athletic grounds. Okay, Rog, Swansea, nil. Arsenal, four. Goals from Alexis and the sur le feu, Olivier Giroud, plus two own goals from Swansea. Yeah, they really needed to help them out there. Seal a comfortable victory for Arsene Wenger in South Wales. Arsenal stay fourth, eight points behind Chelsea. Another Swansea game against Arsenal. Another Swansea debutant manager hoping to prove he's not out of his depth. Long-time assistant manager at Real Madrid and Bayern Munich, Paul Clement, who probably even more shocking than being an American manager in the Premier League is an English ball manager at the Premier League. What are Swansea's owners thinking? But this game, it just made me sad at the outset, Dave. It just seems like only yesterday, our beloved Bob Bradley looked at himself in the locker room mirror, saw his black turtleneck shining back at him and thought, yeah. You look cool. You look real cool. That's the outfit, 
Rog. Alexis Sanchez got very upset with us and when he was substituted, Rog. That was the only uh, interesting footnote from this game for Arsenal. Continuing to score goals, Rog. Yeah, I mean, Swansea, God love. They started off hardworking, would you say? I'd say 11 men mistaken in the belief that they're not doomed until old Swansea reared their head defensively, refusing to clear the ball charitably despite a series of opportunities to leave Olivier Giroud. Oh, God love him. What a story of the season he's becoming. To prod home from the closest range, five in five for the soft sensuality of Olivier Giroud. At JetGirl78 tweeted us, Giroud, he's the sax solo that opens careless whisper in human form. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> Did I tell you that when I went down to St. Bart's, the biggest club down at St. Bart's is called Nicky Beach. I think there are other Nicky Beaches, other places. But uh, it really goes off at Nicky Beach on a Sunday afternoon. But the biggest highlight at Nicky Beach is there's a saxophonist. I think he's called Johnny Sax or Jimmy Sax. And he plays on the beach and they sort of, the DJ plays songs and he comes over the top playing sax solos. And people think it's the coolest thing they've ever seen. And I am just like looking at it like it's a saxophone solo for two and a half hours. It's just the oddest, <sighs> oddest thing of all time. I've got, I just can't get over Jimmy Sax. I think that's a bit harsh. I think stamina sax uh, is just <laughs> my favourite kind of sax. So that's the, exactly what it is. It is stamina, stamina sax. sax is please. one of the least appreciated human endeavours. Talking about least appreciated human endeavours, I say I'm starting to admire just Swansea's ability to just have calamitous series of unfortunate events in their own area. Two, not one, but two unfortunate own goals rounded off the score. I don't know what to say about Swansea's defence other than the spirit of Bob Bradley is strong with this one. Poor yeah. Clement. Oh, poor guy. Just wheeling away another one in agony. The enormity of the task at hand just hitting home at the final whistle with a numbing dark thud is Swansea. Oh, they are worse than Martin Shrekley. And two of their next three games, Liverpool and Manchester City. Swansea City, I know you're listening, Swansea. Let me ask you this. What if Bob Bradley wasn't the problem? Uh, yeah, I don't, think, uh, I don't think you're the first person to uh, ask themselves that question, Rog, or uh, ask the world that question. Yeah, I'm sure Bob Bradley's looking at this thinking, I could have lost 4-0 at home to Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, at Lapsu um, tweeted this and said, two wins in 11 games with uh, this season's Swansea team might actually make Bob Bradley one of the world's best football managers. Yeah. I love your optimism at Lapsu, at Drew M. Farmer. Uh, slightly more cutting, Bob mightn't have been the problem, but he still wasn't the solution. But right, yeah. one note I love from this week, talking about managers, David. It was revealed that Theo Walcott, did you read this? He asked no. every Arsenal player to contribute to the dressing room pregame playlist, and then he asked Arsene Wenger to chip, chip in a track too. Can you guess which track Arsene chose? Was it Jimmy Sachs? <laughs> <laughs> I the like French, stamina French sex love Jimmy Sachs. I, I enjoy oh, uh, the, uh, no, the, the stamina sex. Uh, on Johnny Holiday. Uh, oh, yeah, Joy Lotecti. Uh, I, I would have guessed that he'd go for Johnny Cash's version of Hurt to try and motivate his players before games. Nope. He went Frank Sinatra's My Way. Oh, yeah, that's very Arsene. Uh, Peak uh, Arsene. Oh, God, I, I, I heard that. I just bro broke my heart just thinking of Arsene in the changing room. Yes, there were times. I'm sure you knew when I bit off more than I could chew. Oh, I would have thought Arsene would have been more of a verve, drugs don't work uh, kind of fan, but we will, we will see. 
I do think that's one of the most overrated songs in history, Rod Frank Sinatra's My Way. It's nothing to do with the performance or the song. It's what it makes men feel like when they listen yeah, to I've it. Yeah, I've got to say, Eric Bloody Clapton's Tears in Heaven is more uplifting than Frank Sinatra's My Way. Yeah, very true. Uh, talking about take. more uplifting, Rod, Hull City 3, Bournemouth 1, Hull get their first... I can't believe we're not on television after this game. Uh, Hull get their first <laughs> win in 10 games to begin the Marco Silva era. The Tigers are now level on points with Crystal Palace, but remain in the relegation zone on goal difference. Uh, welcome, new friend, 39-year-old Portuguese manager, much maligned choice, Marco Silva. Yeah. Oh, he sounds like an explorer, and he probably is braver than one, just pitching up. At Hull with no Premier League experience, said the English pundits. No knowledge of the relegation zone. No knowledge of what it takes to get a team out of there. But one game, one win. And then this one, after conceding a penalty, going down after 88 seconds. There is hope at Hull, even though it's almost definitely of the false variety. Yeah, well, it's uh, well, they've still got snodgrass. They've still got hope, Rog. Burnley won Southampton nil. Joey Barton makes his return to Turf Moor with a late second-half winner. It is Burnley's eighth home win this season. If the Premier League table was based on home matches alone, Sean Dyche's men would be third. Unfortunately, they don't play in Dave Fishwick's loving bosom every week, so they're tenth. <laughs> Still very impressive. Oh, that's a good name for a prog rock album, Dave Fishwick's loving bosom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sunderland one, Stoke City three. Marco Anatovic has lost his man bun, but none of his maniacal enthusiasm. His pair of goals, plus one from English Sean Bradley, Peter Crouch, <sighs> keeps Sunderland mired in the suck of the relegation zone. And then Watford nil, Middlesbrough nil, Rog, an emotional farewell to the late Graham Taylor at Vicarage Road. Proceeded a game that saw neither team able to break through. West Ham three, Crystal Palace nil. No Dimitri Payet. No problem, at least against Palace at home. The highlight from this one, an acrobatic Andy Carroll oh. overhead kick that conjured a more literal image of one the English media love to use to describe his play, that of a bovine carcass <laughs> flung at his enemies via catapult. Despite the win, real concern for Hammers fans about a pouting Frenchman Payet. Oh, can you cast your mind back to the golden days of February 2016? When Dimitri mm. Payet put his name to a new five-and-a-half-year contract at West Ham. Mm. God, there's got to be something really rotten, either with West Ham or with Payet's agent, that he wouldn't play out the last 18 games of the season and then depart. But there is talk about him wanting to, yearning, not wanting, yearning to return to his family in Marseille. But the sense of angst surrounding this whole situation, best summed up by GFOP train spotting author, Irvin Welsh, who tweeted, The Payet saga at West Ham feels like a girl you've fallen madly in love with, telling you to grow up. It was just a holiday shag. <laughs> it could be. It could be. Who knows, Rog? Who knows? Well, West Ham still had enough to overcome sad, sad Crystal Palace. Andy Carroll's goal, Dave. What a camper oh. it was on victory. It was amazing. I mean, I could imagine if you're in the stadium, when Andy Carroll hit the ground after landing after that overhead kick, it must have felt like a 6.3 on the Richter Stale earthquake uh, in Stratford, Rog. Amazing, <sighs> it was, amazing It finish. was more humanly breathtaking than watching the SpaceX thing land. It, it, was, it was definitely, I mean, it was like as if Andy Carroll was suddenly auditioning to join a Zlatan tribute band. <laughs> uh, I, I just thought of that scene in Dumbo, you know, I've seen a peanut stand, I heard a rubber band. He then 
trump the goal in my mind, Davo, Andy Carroll, by just running towards, I think it was Sam Byram, Fuguli, Manuel mm. Lanzini, three of his teammates who ran up. They're all pregnant. To They're celebrate all pregnant. With him. He lifted them all, Davo. Three men. He just lifted them clean <laughs> off their feet as they came to celebrate with him. World's strongest man vibes. World's most injured strongest man vibes. Oh, but Crystal Palace. Mm. Oh, they're like a car with dead batteries. Oh, yeah. Steve, come on. The Allardyce, come on. The Allardyce come on, jump Sam. leads, Dave. They're not starting any engines right now. Yeah. Don't know what to say. The big Sam effect, not what it once was. He yeah. said after the game, the players have just got to get better individually and collectively. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's all it is then. Just got to yeah. become better individually and, and together on your own yeah. and together. Okay. It was the type of week that left us wondering if Togger gives points for becoming a father. Harry Kane tallies 47.5 points and guides stomach monkeys, Spurs heavy team to first place for this round. A patch is on the way to stomach monkeys. Uh, talking of stomach monkeys, Rog, <laughs> massive news from the labyrinth in Switzerland known as FIFA headquarters. The ever-benevolent and well-fed shepherds of international football are expanding the World Cup finals from 32 to 48 teams in 2026. Good news for the Men in Blazers national team, Rog. They're talking about 16 groups of three teams each. It sounds like there's going to be room in this new format for both Antigua and Barbuda separately. What does that mean? 16 groups of three and then 32 teams go into the next round. Yeah, that's crazy. My favourite comment on it was from Martin Samuel of the Daily Mail who exclaimed, Tahiti versus Curaçao, anyone? That's not the World Cup. It's a holiday dilemma for windsurfers. But to be honest, Dave, I'm just staying clear of all... I mean, there's a lot of angst, there's a lot of hand-wringing, there's a lot of debate about the World Cup being ruined by admitting 48 teams. It just forgets that the tournament's already going to be ruined because it's going to be held in Russia, then Qatar. I mean... It's going to be, by the time it's 48 teams, none of us are going to give a crap anyway. FIFA have just never met a golden goose that they can't wait to kill. Uh, I will say this. I wish someone in the US media had interviewed Sunil Galati on the topic. The silence is just a symbol of the complete lack of accountability at football's highest level. It it makes no sense, Rog, also, because the only thing I could say in favour of a 48-team World Cup is that the best part of a World Cup is the group stage. It's really weird. It's like the regular season of a World Cup is better than the playoffs. The group stage is fantastic. So if they decided to do it and you ended up with way more group stage games, that might have been a great thing. But to then turn it into 16 groups of three, which keeps down the number of group stage games, it just seems absolutely crazy, Rog. In happier international news, Dave, Alex Morgan. A six months in Leon started off with a pair Leon. of assists. And I need to get myself an Alex Morgan Leon jersey in a 3 0 win over Breton. I, ju- I just love, I love what she's doing. I mean, she uh. talks about openly how she dreams of becoming the world's best player by playing for the world's best team. But when I think about what she's doing, she's going to become a much better human being for this experience. Felicitation. Felicitation also to the mighty Heather O'Reilly. Hey, oh. Hey Just this morning joined Arsenal ladies. She's going to become American Iwobi. And in other trade news of note, bit sadder this to me. Red Bulls, King Ginger, Dax McCarthy, married last weekend, reporting back to the US for international duty for the first time in eons uh, this week. He's now suddenly 
and shockingly treated to Chicago Fire. Wow. Uh, He's just been an absolute fire starter in the heart of the Red Bulls resurgent over the past five years. And I know talking to him, he always dreamed of returning to his hometown uh, Orlando before his career is done. I say many Red Bulls fans are shell-shocked. We're going to miss him terribly. And I know that we are not alone. The winner of the coveted Guinness Men in Blazers Perth Philosopher Sack Scrab Raven of the Week is from a GFOP Rog, Andrew Plegler. I have a Blazers-related question for you two, he writes. I am currently making a career change from the technology startup world, no dress code of any sort, to the <laughs> academic world, very much a dress code. My job includes meeting with alumni of a fine establishment from which I graduated, and it has been discreetly suggested that I need to up my wardrobe. As a soccer <laughs> fan, the nicest college shirt I own is an Arsenal away kit. The tingling. So at the very minimum, I need a blazer or two to help elevate my Nicholas Bentner wardrobe to at least the levels of off-duty Alexis. So I humbly come to you, masters of New York blazer idea. What kind of blazer should I be looking at? A starter blazer wardrobe consists of what? And will wearing a blazer grant me clairvoyance into the matters of Premier League tactics and managerial handshakes? Thank you both <sighs> if you can answer a sincerely confused Arsenal fan. Well, more confused than usual. <laughs> Great question. I mean, yeah. on, on the clairvoyance, we've already answered that over the past three seasons on the Men in Blazers show. Wearing a blazer offers you no knowledge of football whatsoever, sadly. It's not helped us. But a starter blazer set, Dave, if you were to get two, if you were to recommend two blazer purchases. Well, see, I think, Rog, that, that putting your blazer together actually starts underneath the blazer. So this oh. is the way I break it down, Rog. Oh, this is like so karate first of all, kid. you've got to start from the bottom. You've got to decide what kind of shoes do you feel comfortable in. And I think a man needs to wear the shoes that he feels comfortable in, whether those are Stan Smiths. And if the first day you go to work, you start wearing Stan Smiths, you're just the guy who wears Stan Smiths with your, with your dress pants and a blazer and a shirt and tie. That's fine. You can make it work. But if you're more comfortable in wingtips or you like a loafer or you like a little boot, you know, just choose your footwear that you like wearing and stick to it and wear that all the time. In the academic world, I'm thinking cords, Rog, or grey flannel. It's got to be one of the two. Grey flannel or cords. That's where I'm going. A nice belt and then shirt. Find three or four you like. Your white shirt or what your replacement is for your white shirt. I like a Bengal stripe, Rog. I wear that as my white shirt. Um, you know, you need, a, you need a couple of blues. The shirts you like, you don't need more than four or five shirts. Don't go overboard. Then you've got to find your tie you like. I like a regimental club tie. If you don't have the men in blazers tie, find a nice regimental stripe. A blazer, you know what? <sighs> Lots of places you can go to if you're a blazer. Uh, but I think a blue blazer, two <sighs> button, not three button, double vent, not single vent. Find something that fits. Fit is so important. Oh, yeah, I agree with you on the blue blazer. I just think you cannot do better than a simple blue blazer. You'll just get a, you get a million miles out of a good blue blazer. I got one from a Prada outlet in Monteverci, Tuscany, which I'm guessing two other listeners have been to, and they'll tweet me. 12 years ago, I got mine. It's a beautiful blue, little subtle herringbone in there, and I still wear it on regular rotation. But my second suggestion, go corduroy. It is simply one of the most evocative and emotional fabrics that's ever been fashioned. I mean, to wear it, to me, when I pull it on, I just synapse back to, to a world of memory. What does corduroy th- make you think of, David? Like English teachers, childhood suits, student days, lost loves? 
Yeah, I love corduroy. I love corduroy. I love pants more than jackets because you need a bit of a shoulder pad to make a corduroy jacket work. Oh. But it's a uh, it's a great fabric. I, I love it. Academia, oh. it's good. Ah, oh, yeah. I mean, it exists more in the subconscious corduroy than it does in reality. Its name from the 18th century, corduroy. The cloth Lord of the king, the cloth of the king. Oh, though it can be traced back to the early Egyptians, and it's shocking when I research this. It predates Wes Anderson by roughly 21 centuries. Wow. Do it, Andrew. Do it. And because you're an academic, just elbow pad it, elbow pad it, elbow pad it. It's de rigueur. Okay, your weekend looks like this. Liverpool hosts Swansea City at 7.30 Saturday morning. The most oh, hated no. team Le in football, Swansea. Later, <laughs> later that day. <laughs> Pep looks to steady the ship oh, as City God. take on Spurs at 12.30pm. Game of watch. the weekend. And Sunday at 11.30, Hull City try and extend their one-game winning streak against league leaders Chelsea. Who've Everton got, Rog? We've got Crystal Palace, Dave. But oh, it's, so, oh. it's so you to make me think about the doom that lies ahead of us <laughs> rather than allow me just to enjoy the glory, the, the, molding, the, the smouldering embers of glory that are still burning brightly from Sunday. So you. Palace, Palace season back on track. Let's eat their babies, says Sam Allardyce. <laughs> All of those games are on the NBC family of networks. Okay, there are many ways to connect to us. One is through our Amazon Emporium, which helps keep the show going. Anytime you go on Amazon, Friday's Big or Small, just click off the Emporium page and Men in Blazers gets a tiny percentage that allows us to cover the cost of creating the show. Rog, what are you putting in the Emporium this a week? A book! Oh! Why Time Flies, a mostly scientific investigation. By the great Alan Burdick. It is not the kind of book that I typically read. But Burdick, he's a New Yorker staff writer and he's a huge GFOP. And so the book came across my desk and I was just fascinated by its premise. It's an exploration into the origins of time. Time, time. Why time goes slowly when you're a kid. Oh my Lord. When it goes fast when you age. Why it almost freezes when, God forbid, you're in a car crash. And why you always procrastinate when you've got too much time to do something, but just become laser-focused when you're utterly swamped. And, and the central question that he keeps focusing on, did we invent time, humans, or did time invent us? And, and throughout it all, Burdick's voice, so human, so charming, makes this detailed work of scientific research digestible, eminently reasonable, even for pea brains like me. Read it and become, and I crap you not, a better, more thoughtful human being. Fantastic. Oh, that one question, though, about did we invent time or did time invent us? I, that made my head hurt, Rog. I'm not sure I can handle this book. Oh, it made me uh, cry. Having said that, Rog, I am myself putting a book into the Amazon Emporium. Don't do this very often. It's my last book purchase. It's the Pokemon Deluxe Essential Handbook, the need-to-know stats and facts on over 700 Pokemon. Bought this for George. He can't read yet, but I must say... This is, without any doubt, his favorite book of all time. Rog, he loves it. He's really into Pokemon. I don't really understand Pokemon. You must have been through this with your boys, Rog. Can you explain Pokemon to me? So, to explain Pokemon, did they invent us or did we invent them? <laughs> oh, I have no idea. Pokemon are like time, Rog. They yeah. are as complex. Uh, sorry, I should say that that book is a bargain paperback at 7 dollars and 19 cents on the amazon visit meninblazers.com to sign up for our newsletter for those of you in our togger league we have a special column from fantasy guru john wallen oh. this issue that you will want i need to all read. the help i can get can i just say the raven yeah and not just because i write some of it very little of it it's <laughs> jw and lexi it is a phenomenal little tiny gem i adore it i couldn't be more proud of it sign up 
really, really sign up. You can actually learn more about what we do and not miss anything uh, of what we do or learn it's about what, than the LA Times. L- learn about what we do so that you can miss all of it and make sure that you mm. do either way. But sign up now on our website, meninblazers.com. It's gorgeous. I wonder if we could get a White House press pass for the Raven, Rog. Did, 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 did we create the Raven or did the Raven create us? I don't know. Very, very good question. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Men in Blazers, at Embassy Davies, at Rog Bennett on Instagram, at Men in Blazers, at Embassy underscore Davies on Facebook, Men in Blazers. You can always send your ravens to the crap part of Soho. You can always email us at meninblazers <sighs> at gmail.com. And you can email us an explanation as to why we're the only people in the entertainment industry who have not been asked to play the inauguration. <laughs> yeah yeah uh we have not been asked officially it's just uh, it's just us and the cars for kids band we're the only yeah. two acts in the entertainment industry we may be performing but we have not been asked bender punk rog pig who wants the sex matumbo exposure courage take that gloria is that your analysis to tweed abrogado rock on mate kung fu fight in america and steve kerr for president <laughs> love you rog love you davey but not as much as Tom Davis. (laughs) True.